What's up? It's Tommy Green. You're listening to the Rev Talks podcast brought to you by the Rev Gatherings, digital tribe of up-and-comers, emerging leaders, doing our best to keep in step as the face of the church changes in our generation. If this is your first time checking out the podcast, welcome home. If you are a returning visitor, hiya. Feel free to subscribe, share it around, give us a five-star review. Tell somebody. If you like what you hear, please let us know. You can reach out to us at therevgatherings.com. Feel free to email us at therevgatherings at gmail.com. Hope you enjoy the episode. See you on the other side. Well, you guys, I, I hope that you are buckled up <laughs> in your own uh, <clears throat> lives today. I, I, I don't get a chance often to talk to people that are legit heroes for me and Chrissy Green. Um, but uh, the guest today, uh, Miss Cassandra Lee, she's a boss. She's a boss. Her and her husband Edison are incredible. They are the um, directors and, and they lead a um, incredible organization called Justice Rising. And they build schools in war zones. The vision for Justice Rising, which please check them out, justicerising.org. Support, help them put uh, kids in school, help them pay their bills, do just be be a blessing to these guys, give money, give time, um, give pray words, give encouragement. But Justice Rising is an incredible um, organization and to hear kind of the the power that education has and the potential that education has in disrupting the cycle of war is profound. Um, <clears throat> I've known Cass uh, for about 10 years. Um, she came and hung out, actually. Me, Johnny G, she came, her and Johnny G came and hung out with me when I was recording the Finished People record in California. And we just chopped it up and talked. And uh, But we've known her for, Chrissy and I met her 10 years ago in, in uh, LA at a, at a get together. And she flew in from the Congo and um, just radical work that she's doing. So anyways, I'm super excited for you guys to get a chance to meet and hear her story. <clears throat> Probably one of the most personally encouraging moments that I've had in a while in my own faith and my own connection. Um, what Jesus happened kind of in her sharing uh, her ability to connect with her ability to see Christ in the dirt of a war zone um, powerful time so anyways um, <clears throat> please uh, please listen please support Justice Rising share this around with anyone that has a heart to solve the world's problems for real um, anyone who's crying out for justice across the globe, anybody that you know that has an interest in education, anyone who has a heart for war-torn countries across the planet, um, I give you one of our personal heroes and our dear friend, Cassandra Lee. Ready? Okay. 
We are live. Um, welcome, Miss Cassandra, to the Rev Talks podcast. Hi. So, I'm in that movie, and I'm I, like Eric. We started filming it, and then we got. I think we ran out of money, and we ran out of time because it it rained for like oh my a week. We had two weeks. Basically, like our producer got Panavision to like give us a crazy deal on the lenses for a short period of time. It was a dead zone between like pilots and movies. So it, it was like a real hookup, but then we got rained out. It rained for like so much time during the week that like we just lost a lot of days. So, and then it's like, you run out of money on the production. So then we got to like figure out a way to finish the movie. They got like 75%, like 80% done. Yeah. And it's like, cool, like we're going to figure this out. So they get everything like ready to rock and then Corona camp. You know, so like everything's been locked down. And so, um, so I've been using the time I'm saying this because I said, you know, give us like an hour, but so usually I just started going to this insane gym, like this crazy, I called the guys and was like, I'm supposed to look like a movie star guy. And I look like a dad with love handles. Can you help me? (laughs) You know, like, can we work this out? And so, um, So I'm in week two of this like insane, it's really awesome. It's just the hardest. It's so crazy. And so I usually go in at like 10, but I told the dude, I'm like, can I have a really important conversation? Can I come in at like 1030? So if you have an hour, I'm so excited. So that's what I was saying is I've I've got this like crazy gym thing I'm trying to do so that I can look great for a movie. And then my friend will know I tried. Okay. I tried real hard. Um, (laughs) okay so I am so very honored Cass that you are on this call with me and I would love it if you would sort of introduce yourself to people who like who are you and what are you up to and then kind of just the maybe the genesis of where this sort of started for you um yeah and everything if you can just let people know totally um well I'm Cassandra Lee and I'm a co-founder at Justice Rising and Justice Rising is a nonprofit, and we work to build peace in places of war through education. So we go into some of the worst war-torn areas we can find. We build schools, we train teachers, and we're trying to develop community leaders to pretty much disrupt cycles of war, which sounds very optimistic, but we believe that it's possible. So we are going after that. Okay, so- that's wild. Cycles of war. Can you talk about what that, what does that kind of mean? What makes up a cycle of war for people that, because education we'll get to, that's, that's a big, what makes up the cycle of war? Yeah, well, in most areas that have like conflict and different outbreaks of violence, they're not these one-off events that a country's like, oh my gosh, we've never had war before. What is this? Usually it's a country's had war before it can have war for years, then it will maybe go into a time of peace. That time of peace can go on four months or years or whatever that looks like, but often it cycles back into conflict. And places like the Congo, where we're mostly based in Central Africa, they've had war for decades in some areas. And this war, it'll go on. Literally in Congo, it's the worst war since World War II. So over 5 million people have died. It was the rape capital of the world, worst place to be a woman or a child. And these areas that had 
this conflict, we would have these little glimpses of peace. And we would be like, oh my gosh, everything's doing a lot better. And people are moving home from their displaced persons camp and life is starting to return to what it was. And then all of a sudden a rebel group or something will happen and they'll cycle back into really bloody conflict. And so one time I was in a displaced persons camp. So people who had been in war had fled for their lives, were helped by the UN with some basic tarps and a little bit of food, just these horrific scenes like IDP camps are awful. And I remember sitting with this one family and it was a father, Thomas, and his like half a dozen, I think he had about seven kids and the wife had died when they were fleeing from conflict. All the kids were sick. Some had like bullet wounds in like wounds in their back from being shot at as they were fleeing. Just absolutely awful things. And sitting around with this family in their little tent that's the size of like a closet and that's their home and I looked and I was like if we don't do something to disrupt war from happening over and over year after year I'm going to come back in 10 years or 20 years and I'm going to meet these kids their children your kids children and war will just continue over and over unless we come up with like a way a strategy to stop it which again, sounds optimistic. You're like, how do you stop war? But when you're sitting in that tent, when you're looking these kids in the face, it seems like the practical thing to think of. You're like, of course we have to stop this war. Like I'm looking at this child, I'm holding them. If we don't do something, this will be your life is war. Like we have to stop this. So that is kind of what we're going after. So the cycle of war, in your opinion, like if, if we're thinking about it in America, we would say, there's cycles of brokenness that we can see in a we're in a pretty privileged country but there's that there's almost like the the ruts in our consciousness of poverty and and frustration anger like we've got our own issues that way do you find that in conflict zones it's almost like it's it's a groove that's been established in the culture that like this is what we do and so that's where it's like we have to we have to start pattern interrupting this cultural thing that says well grab your guns it's on again and you're like oh my god this is like habitual is that what it's like when you say like it it just seems to just you you get a little clear and then it's like right back into the same rut again yeah in a lot of ways yes because even in this one village where we have four schools right now they have yeah had over two decades of conflict and right now they're being they're rebel held so an army has come in and fully taken over that community. So every citizen over the age of 18 has to pay a tax to these rebel soldiers. And then they get a tiny piece of paper that says they've paid and they pay it every month. And it's only like a dollar or a dollar 50 or something. But when you're not making a lot of money, when you're making a dollar a day and you have six people in your family, what are you going to eat that week? Um, So you have these rebels. When your child grows up seeing rebel soldiers everywhere, that's all they know. Maybe they don't have a chance to go to school. Maybe they're uneducated. Maybe they're just trying to survive and they see someone with a gun with power. When they grow up, they get in a fight. That's all they know. Yeah, 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 totally. I I think it's the same way in terms of, and I'm saying this as an ignorant uh, 
like white hardcore kid from the west coast of america right but it's like it feels like when you are living in a, a maybe a, an oppressive sort of area a poor place and the stories are the violent people or the dudes with guns or the dudes that sell dope and they've got money whoever that is the aspiration is how do i become that because they don't know there's their their world is only that big and i think mine would be you know the toughest or most angry person and that's still sort of an abusive aspiration to have so in for these poor people the only people with power are the ones that are like wielding it with violence and the only way out is to become that so talk a little bit about I, i'm thinking of um i met a dude who runs a a, a basically like a mentorship in Silicon Valley and and they and he he believes that entrepreneurs are going to change the world. And so he said his job is to attract all the entrepreneurs that want to solve the world's uh BFPs, which are like the biggest freaking problems, right? And he said one of them, you know, he's like water. He's like so we'll talk to you know, uh UBS or some huge bank and go, "Hey, give us like three and a half billion dollars and we're going to get all the entrepreneurs that want to solve water and we're going to fund them and they're going to go, you know, whatever. So when he talked about the, the world's biggest problems, why is education so disrupt? Like I've got a gun, I've got education. How is that an even fight? How does education disrupt the cycle of war? Mm-hmm. Well, and right now we're in this educational crisis of so many kids being out of school and especially due to covid and it's just getting bigger and they're saying this is going to affect not just like oh children aren't learning how to read and write it's like no this is going to affect our the advances that we've made in poverty and reducing that and certain diseases that we've been tackling things like malaria um going after war all these advances that we've made as a global community without education we're going to take a massive step back but education there's still not too much research exactly on okay how how does education like affect war and disrupt that cycle of conflict but a lot of it is like as we were saying those ruts in your brain we're teaching kids how to think how to problem solve mm-hmm. how we're doing conflict resolution and how to how to work out proper communication skills and hey look we can we can talk our way through this problem instead of picking up a rock yeah. we have a peace building program in our schools called watoto wa nani which in english is children of peace And the way we measured if it was successful is before we started the program, we didn't tell anyone we were going to do this. We placed like a plant like this staff member of ours in the school and for days he just recorded how many fights he saw. And he just counted them all up and usually they escalated very quickly. Our children again have only seen violence. So some kid irritates you, they pick up a rock and they're like ready to smash each other's heads in. Sure, sure. And so he did that, then we went through the program, which is, you know, several weeks, couple months. Then afterward he did the same thing and we compared how the number of fights reduced with this added peace building curriculum. And the results were dramatic of just kids not only fighting less 
but also talking to each other and being like, hey, 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 don't get in a fight. This isn't how we resolve our problems. That's not who we are. We are, you know, justice for mm-hmm. students. This is how we solve our problems. Wow. And so sometimes it's just, you know, creating that opportunity, creating those conversations. Um, there's a statistic from the UN that it sounds dorky. Edison's like, you've got to stop saying it's your favorite statistic, but it's my favorite statistic. <laughs> it says when you bring, when you increase secondary enrollment from 30% in a community to 60%, you can cut the risk of conflict in half. And so when you double how many kids are in high school, you're going to get fewer idle youth, fewer kids just around the street looking for trouble, looking for things to do, and war goes down. When did you first, that's really powerful because I just think like for us, because we've got the, we have the, maybe the established culture of kids in school parents are working there's like a rhythm to it the exceptions to that are kids that cut class kids that aren't in school kids that are like you know leaving and just going out and doing stuff or maybe they drop out like dropout rate 20 percent you know it's it's a it's a percentage but it's like the exception it's not the rule and in in a place that is man struggling like that it sounds like that it's the the rule is they're out. They don't have anywhere to go. And so even just by providing the option of school, you're mm-hmm. taking that, you know, kind of like a, God, all of the bad stuff that can happen when you're not at school. You're just like taking that and going, you're going to be here for a good chunk of the day. And then, well, I guess it's, it's the difference between thriving in war and thriving in peace, right? Like you make different decisions when you're not at war. And you make different decisions when you realize that you can sometimes, right? So that's really, okay. So cycle of war, education, building schools and war zones. Mm -hmm. When did you bump into this? Because where are you from and how did you become, um, how did you and Edison, how did you guys become a part of this? Yeah. How did this happen? Um, Because, right, you're not from the Congo originally, probably not. No. Not from the Congo. Okay, so like, how did you bump into this and what happened? Because I'm trying to think of like, I think I met you nine years ago and you were coming back from, yeah, it's been a while, right? Like the first Love Co thing, that was, that was about nine years ago, I think, coming up on it. But anyways, you, were, you had flown back. And so that was like, it's real wild to think through. So how, when did this start for you? I, I first had like got a heart for places of war and conflict when I was 10 years old and really you know the faith journey really felt like God was speaking to me about Zaire which Congo was previously called Zaire and couldn't find it on a map was like "Mm, this place I kept seeing this picture of this word I was like this is weird must be me and felt again like I was supposed to go to a map center of Africa, that's where I was going to go. And sure enough, Zaire, center of Africa. And I was like, this place does exist. And so ever since I was 10, really focused on that. And so my journey kind of took me going throughout conflict zones. Um, It was funny because I was like, I want to go to these war-torn areas. I was this young punk kid. And I was like, I just want to bring peace. 
everyone thought I was crazy and met you through expression and Sean and Jen and Hona Toledo. And they were the only ones that were like, you're not crazy, even though I absolutely was. <laughs> you're out of your mind, but they're like, you're like our kind of crazy. That's yeah. great. You should do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure your parents will love this encouragement. Go get shot. Have fun. Yay. Yeah. We'll take you to Sudan and drop you off. And Hona actually, when I was, what, 20 years old, flew with me to Sudan, made sure I was set up, and then was like, bye. <laughs> Dropped you off. You in a helicopter. Don't leave this area. And you're like, it's okay. I'm going to leave the area. I love it so much. Okay. So, all right. So you're 10 years old and you really had a heart for these, these hurting areas. You have a, you see a picture or a word in your time with God and you don't even know what it is. Then you find it and you feel like that's my spot. And mm -hmm. then years later, you just decide like I'm going. And what was your initial vision when you went? How are you going to bring peace? You're like, I'm going to bring peace. I know. But like, what's your target, right? Because like, it changed. You know, you're like, I'm going to do good. Everyone needs water. I'm bringing water bottles. And then 10 years later, you're like, it's, it's education. It's not water bottles. But like, how did that kind of develop for you? I think because I had no idea how I was supposed to bring peace. Um, I just knew that like war is bad. We have to stop war. And... I think because I had seen people in the past start orphanages and that was a very like, I don't know, the good thing to do. Sure. I was like, oh, sure. I'll go into these places and start a children's home. But, and children's homes are great. And that's actually really helpful in some areas. There is a whole movement kind of pushing against orphanages and children's homes. But besides that, it was kind of going and seeing those homes, I realized I was like, I don't want to just affect like an impact a couple dozen kids. I was like, I want to freaking stop war. Mm. I don't know how to do this. Yeah. And so it was really this journey going from war zone to war zone, like feeling like I was being led by God to all these different places and asking the question, what do we do? How does this look? And education at that point crying out and being like, I have no answers. I'm going to give up because it's actually really traumatizing. <laughs> yeah. I want to go there because, because my trauma journey after talking to you, anyways, I want to talk about specifically trauma at, a, at some point because just because I know it's like, it's the mission field for the 21st century for most people. Yeah. But I want to talk about that because you've been through some very in, intense stuff. You go out you get way messed up and then you got to come back and heal up and you got to go back out and serve. So I want to get there, but yeah, it's very tricky. So you're going from war zone to war zone, trying to find, keep going. You're great. Yeah. And while I'm, you know, trying to figure this out, being traumatized, being like, if I don't have a strategy, if there's not a solution that we can disrupt the cycle of war, then I'm not the person to do this because yeah. I can't just put a bandaid on these massive issues and be like, well done everybody. Like we did it. It's like, no, we have to stop this and we have to give, you know, these kids, you know, Thomas and his family, like these people that I was meeting in the middle of a war zone, I'm like, we have to give them a better solution or yeah. I'm out. And that was when I learned about education and really felt like God was speaking to me about education, build schools, not just any schools, 
but schools that are actually going to bring change and actually can disrupt these cycles of violence. Mm. And so I had started building a couple schools and then little did I know Edison, who at the time I was dating, um, he was also kind of on his own journey learning about um, nonprofits and consulting other people and governments and all this stuff. He's a boss. He's a total G for sure. Yes. And so he came in and then we built Justice Rising together and kind of went after it together. <clears throat> so let me let me ask you this question for people because I man, you were gonna quit if it wasn't gonna be like real at a certain point, right? But there's a lot of people that they want to do good, but it's like, was the answer, did you try to did you try to dumb your vision down at any point so that it would fit? Or did you, did you just go, I have to get bigger? Because going like, well, no, like a school or two, that's great. A lot of people would be like, we built a school, hey, right? And you're like, no, not big enough. But that's also like terrifying when we're just people. Like we're just, we're just little humans, right? And we're like, we're going to stop war. It's like, no, you're not, dude. You're going to go to Taco Bell. That's what you're going to do. And it's not even that cool. So like for you, you built, you start building and you're like, this isn't going to be effective. Like how, how did it go from, I've got to either think bigger or I'm out. Talk about that a little bit. Cause I'm intrigued by that kind of journey. Like this isn't going to work. Right. Well, I've got to, it's, it's actually got to change the world or I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. I, cause we, I had done a few different projects in these war zones as I went. Um, I'm very much a like, activator if you're looking at strengths finders and so I would see a problem I'd want to fix it and so I would start a little project on the side and the projects they just weren't that well developed um they were much more like there's there's a problem I'll start a feeding program or whatever and oh there's I worked a little bit in Kenya on the coast which deviated from my war zone vision but um, working with girls who had been child prostitutes and started a home for those girls. Yeah. And again, everyone has their own, like their own yeah. journey. Totally. But for me working in that home made me realize like, Oh, I don't actually want to work in a home. Like I want to do something where I can step back and like go after a cycle of conflict and stop it. Like, how do you think bigger? And so I think all these little things for me personally, kept making me look out, like zoom out, zoom out, look at the problem from a, you know, a broader perspective. But I didn't fully know how we were going to scale our schools. And that was Edison looking and saying, he's very strategic. And he was like, look, if it really is, if we have to double education for children in secondary school, if that's how you're going to disrupt cycles of war, we have to figure out how to go into communities cluster our schools and double the amount of kids in school like how can we he's kind of looking at it systematically and being like how can we stop yeah, it? you can't you can't make it hard for them to get there you have to go kind of where they are you have to build the culture mm -hmm. and then get them in to see if <clears throat> that 60 percent number will actually cut conflict down wow okay okay so let me let me ask you this because there's a lot of people that i think in that journey right like you're you go to a brothel, essentially, and you start a school for the girls in the brothel. Most people are like, gold medal, Olympic winner, right? And you're like, yeah, I'm not, 
good at this. I want to go. Like letting go of a good thing, very hard. Very hard. What did that feel like and sound like for you when you're like, I'm doing this here and that's great. And then, man, I did this here and that was great. But like, I want to let go of these and do something different. Did you have guilt? Did you have shame about it? Like, how, how was that process? Because I think a lot of us get stuck doing what's in front of us, but it's not really the thing that we really want to do. We'll just do it because it's better than whatever. So what was it like letting go of very beautiful things and, and trying to go after something that was still out there, right? Like there's real ladies in front of you, but that's not good enough, Miss Lee. Oh, you're going to just leave them. And so talk a little bit about that. Cause I think a lot of us, we have a hard time changing our mind. We don't give ourselves permission, but like, what was that like? Cause you're doing good. And you're saying no, not to that good. I'm going to go to this good over here. What was that like for you guys? Yeah, it's interesting because I loved our work in Kenya. I loved our work um, helping young girls get out of prostitution, but it felt like work. Um, it was really interesting because I would go from Kenya and I would go to a war zone and travel back to Kenya. And every time I went to a war zone, I was like, oh, I'm home. Like It felt, wow. it didn't feel hard. It didn't feel exhausting. It was just... Of course it is hard and exhausting. It had moments of that and trauma and all that kind of stuff. But there was something that it fed my soul to the point where I was like, I could do this forever. Wow. But every time I went back to Kenya, I, even though I loved the work, it, it felt like work. And so by the time we were like passing off the programs, some of the programs we passed off to other people. Some of it, we just kind of worked ourselves out of a job and graduated all the right people and then kind of stepped back. And by the time we actually handed off everything, it felt like this like weight off our shoulders. And I was like, oh, that is really great for some people, but this is where I'm called. This is where I'm supposed to be. And that makes all the difference, I think. And if you're filling up your schedule with things that you love, then you're like, I don't mind filling up my schedule. But if you're filling it up with things that are draining, yeah, you're going to get burned out real fast. It's a good indicator. I just, I just wonder about that. That's really cool to know because I think, and we'll get there to a certain point. um, I think there's a lot of people, I'm saying this just as like a, I think there's a lot of people and their Christianity feels like, Kenya or you know it feels like the coast right now it's all work and it sucks and it's not life-giving and there's Mm -hmm. a relationship with Jesus and there's like a there's an expression of faith that feels like this is where I'm supposed to be and I think a lot of people are trying to let go of what isn't working and finding a lane that really works for them to connect with God for real yeah so I just like the fact that it's like okay well let's take it out of the faith thing you're helping women, like running against traffic would be like, yes, she's a hero. She's stopping the cycle of prostitution and violence against women. Okay. And you're like, yeah, that's great. I graduated people. I want to go over here. I like war zones. And I'm like, but, but helping the lady, you know? So it's just interesting to go like, we're done. Like that, that feels like a grind and Mm -hmm. I'll do the work, but that's not where I'm like coming alive. And I think, it's interesting to hear it, not from some creative like me, like, no, man, you just got to like 
play the music where your heart like you know but it's like justice you got to do justice where like your heart comes alive bro like but that's real like there really is a sense of grace mm-hmm. where you're like this is actually where i where i really want to thrive like this is where i'm just like there's a sense of ease but talk a little bit about the trauma and and you telling me maybe 5 years ago 4 years ago maybe 4 years ago have you ever gotten trauma therapy? And I'm like, no. And you're like, I think you should. And I was like, really? Like, you know, cause I, why? Cause I just swear all the time. Is that like, so anyway, so just um, talk a little bit about what is, what is trauma then? What is that process of like really experiencing deeply affecting things, having to come back? Mm-hmm. What, what is that cycle like for you? Yeah. And it's going to be so different for everybody and trauma definitely affects everyone on such an individual level. And you can like, for example, you and I could be sitting here and we can both witness like a horrendous car crash and see all these people die. And that could traumatize me on an eight out of 10. It could traumatize you on a four out of 10. And so you're able to like get back in a car right away and carry on with life. Whereas I'm like, I never want to see a car again. So trauma affects us all differently, but working in a war zone or when we were working in brothels, hearing the stories day after day. And I would even just seeing the way people lived or how normalized rape was in the Congo and I'd be walking down the road talking to a woman and she would look over at me and say, Oh, I'm so glad that we're going in the same direction today. Cause then I know I won't be raped. And though that could just be a story that kind of just like washes off of you. It can also be a story that like goes deep inside of you. And you're like, wow. Oh my gosh, these women who is fighting for them, who, who even cares wow. um, in Syria, all these, I just, I could go on and on about like, stories that were just even some really deep and some just these small comments but they go so deep inside of you that you're traumatized you can't sleep you can't think about anything else fourth of july edison and i still always talk about how traumatic fourth of july is because all the fireworks going off and they sound like bombs and we're taken right back to the war zone and hearing stories it's like then you have to and you have to go through them. Kind of like a filing cabinet is how I describe them. Of like going through, pulling out all these traumatic memories. And for me, it's going before God and being like, here's something really traumatic. Like, where were you? What is going on here? Um, or going with my therapist and saying like, I can't get over this file. Like, I cannot put it back in the filing cabinet and tuck it away. It's at the front of my mind. And I'm stuck on it. And then it's talking through it, processing through it. And often we can't do that alone. It takes sometimes either like a lot of time with God, time with friends, or often professional help. And that's why I'm always like, everyone go to a therapist. Oh, for real. You go through that file and to process those very intense, very just horrific memories. That's heavy duty. So... For you, we'll talk about this. Like, so you go through some experience and say that like you or Edison or you're with people and like, you're literally almost like gunned down, right? Then you come back home 
and you're like, dang, I almost died. Like I literally, I was like nearly 100% smoked. Like pfft. you, you do some process work, you pray, you talk with a therapist, you really, you allow your body and your mind to like pull the memory up and put it where it needs to go. Then you have to go right back to where you just were. What was it like recognizing that it was okay? Like you were going to be okay and you could show back up again. I think that was even a sign of when I was ready to go back is if I would come back to the States and I would go through trauma counseling and it wasn't until I felt excited to return that I would be like, Oh, now I'm ready. Like if I ever got to a place where I was like, I have to go back, but I was still maybe not sleeping through the night. Or if I was, if I felt like the work would be exhausting, then I knew, Oh, I'm not ready yet. I have some more sessions to do some more rest, some more play, just more time out before I can go back. And sometimes it would be quick and sometimes it would take months. What are some of the lies that you'd have to battle? Because I think there's a generation of, of, and I'm saying this just in my perspective, right? Like, um, there's a whole generation of leaders that need to take a break, Hmm. right? Like there's a whole generation of Christian people that are so burned and it's not working. Yeah. Right. What are some of the lies that you had to battle because you're at home and you're like, I'm just not excited to go back. What are some of the things that pop up? Like, who cares? There's kids and they're, you know, like, what are you fighting through? Where you're like, yo, if, if I don't put on my mask first, I can't assist anyone. So like, what's the process of telling the obligation and the, the mission mind, shut up. I'm not good until I'm good. How does that work for you? Because I think a lot of us have a hard time telling that sense of like worthiness or whatever. You need to stop mm-hmm. for a second because this isn't working right now, or this is trouble. Don't right. do that. I think there's a lot of people that get eaten alive in the mission of their life because they don't know how to rest. So what do you battle as you're trying to rest and recover from a heavy season? Right. Usually it's like, there's too much work to do, which is so true. There is too much work to do to stop and rest. But you're like, um, you're not helping anyone after a certain point. Like you can always say there's too many injustices. There's too much. There's always going to be too much. Like that's when I have to take off the, I am actually not the savior. Like take off the savior hat. I'm not going to be the one to save it. I'm just here to like, the hands and feet of Jesus to do as much as I can. But for me, that was big of like, there's too much work to do. I don't have time to rest. Did you, and I did, with you, that. did you fail at that cycle a few times before you found a better rhythm? I always fail at that cycle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is constant. And it was really funny because I've done so much counseling and like have known my therapist for years and I was talking to Edison the other day, this is a little while ago, and we were like being asked to speak on this panel and they asked me to, I forget what they actually asked us to speak on, but I was like, I feel like you should have asked me to speak on like rest. And he looks at me and he goes, really? And I was like, yeah, like, I feel like I really mastered that. And he was like, no, you haven't at all. <laughs> you're terrible at rest. Why do you think you're good at that? Um, so it made me like step back and be like, Oh, I, for a yeah, while I, I stopped, 
but I'm not resting at all. Like, and I hate it. Like, totally. Where I got really good at talking about all of it and I did it for a while, but then I became so good at talking about it that I was able to talk about it and not do it. And so it's constantly reevaluating, like, am I actually resting? How can I actually process this? You get so good about talking about trauma counseling and then you're like, oh, it's been actually several years since I've been. <laughs> and so going, Dude, going went, back to it all um, and wow. not not kidding yourself that you've made it or that you've arrived. <laughs> like, oh, I'm forever on this journey. Cool. I, I think that's really helpful. I, I wonder about, um, I went to one that was, uh, it's not, it wasn't talk therapy. It was, um, it was called brain spotting and it was like a, a elevated version of the EMDR stuff, you know? Okay. So it was like headphones. And then the way you described the filing cabinet, I think is so awesome because basically the therapy I went through, cause you told, I, I messaged you right when I got back from California and I was like, I did trauma therapy. Oh my God. So because I was, I've been melting down. I felt like for years now, it was like, I just, it was like, I couldn't get ahead of it. And I think my, I said, I say this to Chrissy Green all the time. It's just like, I felt like my internal temperature needed to be like 72 and sunny, but it had gone to like, it was a hundred degrees all the time. And, um, and I didn't know how to turn the volume down. And I went to, I went, I went to talk therapy. I did, I called, you know, the, the heavyweights. I'm like, can I get like a Sozo with like the Sozo kit? Like that didn't work. Like, I was just like, you've got to be choking, you know? I'm getting amazing revelation from God, but I'm still that far away from screaming at my kids. I, this is not working. Like what's going on? So um, I went and, and the therapy stuff was crazy because uh, the, the beats that you listen to and the, the process of like finding a zone to look at as you started sharing a memory, right? Like I was in this room or you're, you know, I'm in this area of the country and like this event it was as if my body, like they grabbed my toe and like shook my whole body. And all of these like really painful feelings kind of like came up to the surface. And it, it almost, it was like 45 minutes of from the bottom of my feet. Like it, it almost like my supercomputer kicked on and yeah. pulled like, this is what it was like when you got hurt as a little kid. This is what it was like when you got cheated on. This is what it was like when you got beat up. This is what it was like with, with Annie. This is what it was like with, and it was like my brain finally got to file everything where it needed to go. And like 45 or 50 minutes in, like it just didn't feel, I, I literally was like jacking my feet. Like I was like, it, she said, I almost hyperventilated a couple of times. Cause I was just like, I'm in the memory, you know, like you're in it. But then my body finally released it and my brain was able to take it and like put it where it was supposed to go. Like, as opposed to my body holding onto the trauma, like my, my brain got to file it through my frontal cortex, you know what I mean? As opposed to it just being trapped. And so very interesting because it wasn't like talking, but it was like, I felt like I got healed, but it was so weird. Like such, anyway, so, um, super powerful. So when you talk about that, like when people in general are going through all these experiences, they've got these memories that they just can't mm -hmm. shake. Um, well, and even as you talk about your body, there's a book called, um, the body keeps a score. Keeps a score. Come on, talk about it. 
Um, definitely a great book. Could not quote it well enough, so I'm not even going to try. But um, hey, hey, quote, anyone- the, quote the author's name. How do you say that dude's name? What's his name? I don't even know. It's like Van Der Sloot or some weird thing. It's good. No big deal. Keep going. It's great. Um, but such a good book if anyone is interested in diving into that. But I remember going to therapy and my therapist saying, hey, look, if you are going to keep, like you can put off trauma counseling and you can put off dealing with these traumas, but like your body is all connected to this. And so if you're not going to deal with it emotionally and go into those memories, she's like, it's going to manifest itself in some other way. And she's like, you know, all those people who work in like high stress jobs, I worked in missionary work, which technically I guess you could say we still kind of do so many missionaries are getting all these weird sicknesses all the time. And they're like, it's an attack. And I'm like, no, I don't think that's a demon. I think that's like, yeah, I think that's what Freud, that's what Freud said. I think in that book is, is when they didn't have language for it, he would say they're afflicted with memory. Hmm. They're afflicted with memories. It's like, Hey guys, like there's real spiritual stuff going on. Totally agree with that. And deal with, we have to deal with our BS or we're going to get sick, like sick physically sick like for real oh gosh that's crazy okay so you feel like you've got a rhythm you go back when you're excited and for you that's an indication of like the the grace for the work is showing back up um is edison the same way does he what how does that affect um edison like because you guys are married love each other so when you hurt he hurts when he hurts you hurt like how does that work between you guys like does he process similar way? No, we're very different in the way we process. I'm very like emotional and everything's out in the open and I'm going to tell the stranger how I feel. Like I would tell everybody. Um, I'm very aware of that. Whereas um, I don't want to speak too much for him, but <laughs> Edison, he would just, he's more an internal processor in general. And so he's going to need much more time alone to process it. Wow. He, he goes to therapy, but he had to like, he has like a cool therapist, which I always tease him. My therapist is very much like, so Cassandra, tell me what you think. Whereas like, he just has like this cool, badass therapist. Because <laughs> um, we just, we really needed different things from that. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah, and his, he might, like, have a couple outbursts of anger about stupid things. Wow. The joke is, like, who put the vacuum in the wrong cupboard? (laughs) And you're, like, why? And you're, like, Zaire? And he's, like, Zaire, for sure. That was a Zaire Zaire meltdown, for sure. That's, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Totally. When you have these, like, outbursts of anger and it doesn't match what the problem is, and then we would kind of be, like, oh, yeah, I probably probably some time to process and that was his reaction whereas wow. I'm probably more likely to burst out in tears about something silly and yeah yeah that's how you could tell. so we have very different ways of processing the trauma but I will say on 4th of July when all those fireworks go off we are both up all night about the hell and just being wow. like we're back in Syria or whatever Dude. Well, and you guys really resonated there too when you went. This was what four and a half years ago. You guys went. You you finally got clearance to go. How many years ago was that? To Syria. Yeah. We've been a couple times. I guess the first time we went in 2017. Yeah, that's right. Okay, it was just a few. I remember that first trip and thinking, "Whoa, these guys are like in love with the, this 
this place or these people, you know what I mean? I was like, wow, that's a big deal for these guys for sure. Yeah, no, we, we had hoped to go back again this year. So it was supposed to be 2017, 2018, skipped 2019 to fundraise and then go back this year and then COVID. But, so, okay, I'm going to, so give me a broad overview really quick because I realized I haven't asked. What, Justice Rising at this point, how many schools do you have? Where are they? And like, what's going on? Um, because we'll get there, but I just, I had one more, like kind of more like question in a different area, but I want to make sure people understand what are you doing? What is Justice Rising doing right now? 2020, you're in the States, but like, what have you built? What is going on there? We right now have 18 schools in Congo mm -hmm. and over about 2,500-ish students. We, we're still kind of counting now that COVID's going on. Yeah. Um, and over 130-ish staff. And so they're all on the ground. Our goal is to build out a 40-school network to kind of use it as this learning lab, not only to disrupt cycles of conflict, but to see, okay, how do you actually disrupt cycles of conflict? Wow. Because war zones are such a hard place to get to, not a lot of people stay planted and immersed in a community. Justice Rising really is unique in the way that we immerse ourselves fully in the communities we serve. And so we'll be collecting research and data to really see, okay, this is how you disrupt cycles of conflict. We have 40 schools, building them out. Again, now we're at 18, and then we're slowly expanding into other war zones. So Iraq and Syria, we recently kind of started expanding there, partnering with amazing locals on the ground. We rebuilt a school that was destroyed by ISIS, a girls' secondary school in Iraq, and then working a little bit in Damascus and Aleppo in Syria. Wow. And so it looks different, our partners in the Middle East, just because Congo, we are so hands-on from we buy the land, build the school, train the teachers, and then monitor and evaluate all the work that happens. Yeah. But in the Middle East, it's much more partnering with locals who are already doing it and helping them get the projects uh, off the ground, reaching more kids and like resourcing them with extra things they need. So... <sighs> It's a process, but awesome. we're getting there. That's so cool. That's so cool. Okay, well, I'm going to do this because I feel like um, in bringing it kind of in for a landing, which I don't really want to. I think me and Johnny G are probably just going to call you guys in like a couple weeks or something. We'll have to do this again because yeah. I just feel like it'd be fun. But um, Please. talk a little bit about this because there's a lot of people that are going to hear this that um, I think the big thing that I'm, I, I feel like I'm, I'm hearing from and seeing a lot of people that are in a, I'm not going to call it like, they're just in their own like faith journey. Like they're having like a, they're having crisis of faith mm -hmm. and they feel deeply disappointed and sort of lost in um, the nice way to say it. I was saying to my homie Astro the other day was like, it feels like I'm watching a lot of people and uh, our, our marriage, me and Chrissy Green's marriage therapist guy would say, we're always in a hunt for identity. Who am I to you? You know, am I, am I enough for you? Will you be there for me? And that's kind of like the quest for identity. You're, you're looking for identity. And so when you meet someone that's supposed to be awesome and they're Cassandra's best friend and I go to shake their hand and they kind of give me like a, what's up? <laughs> I lo you lose identity. 
identity. You're kind of like, Ooh, why does Cass like this person? That person sucks. Like, and he's like, you might try one or two more times. And then you're like, I don't want to hang out with that person at all. You know, we've all been in those situations where you're like, this is Johnny's like best friend. And he thinks this dude's awesome, but that dude was a total like jerk. Like, ew. And he's like, you lose identity. It's like, I don't know who I am to this person. So like, I'm not, I'm out. And so we were talking about, we gain identity when, when we're seen, when we're valued, when we feel connected, we gain identity. We lose identity when you get kind of, he calls it a still face. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and he, he showed a video of like a mom with her baby and she's playing with her baby. And the, the doctors that are filming said, just go still face for 30 seconds or something. And so she just goes, and like five seconds in the kids, like, like trying to get her attention 10 seconds in, you can see the baby's getting really uncomfortable and like 20 seconds in full on meltdown. Like, where are you? Who are you? And so he's like, this is how it is for little babies and for big babies. Like we need connection. That's how we're wired. So he talks about getting a still face. I'm saying all that to say, I think there's a lot of people that are losing identity mm-hmm. in God because they're losing identity with his people in such dramatic ways. So everyone I feel like is like, I don't know who I am to those people anymore. And because those people are so connected to my guy, I don't know who I am to this thing anymore. It's totally normal. I don't mind. I'm going through a similar thing. So I don't mind going like, I'm just losing identity in a lot of ways. And I'm gaining identity in others, but I, there's something beautiful. I don't want to lose touch with, but then there's a lot of BS that I don't really want to put up with anymore. So for you, who, this is why I'm saying this. Who was Jesus hmm. when you first started at, at maybe 10? Who, who is Jesus to you now? And, and what is that like? Yeah. Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> I'm like, it sucks so bad if you're like, that is a horrible question. <laughs> I'm not going to answer. But I just, no. I like, I like him and I feel like, I, I don't want to know about Christianity right now. I want to know what do you see when you look at him? Who who is he to yeah. you? Right, like the song of songs thing. Like what who's what is your beloved? What why who who is this person to you? Because I feel like everyone's like, is he real? Like that's what I feel like I'm picking up in like the ether is like he's not even real. And it's like no no no. I swear he is. We yeah. are not. We are not real most of the time. But like. I swear there's a reality that we're all kind of grasping for in wherever we are, but that's my thought on it. So who is Jesus to you then? And then who, who is Jesus to you now? Right. I think it's interesting because it's going to be kind of a weird answer, but that's because I work in war zones. And so it's just how it It's a little weird in general. Um, I think for a long time, Jesus was like a good news and he still is good news, but he was good news in like a peppy way. Like, Oh, everything's rosy and sunny all the time. Like if I serve Jesus, I'm going to just live in this rosy and sunny bubble. And then I went to war zones and you are hearing rape stories all the time. You're seeing kids literally die of hunger. Like, you're seeing kids who, oh my gosh, this one sweet baby girl that I was very, very close with, Sipe, and she died of diarrhea. And it just, the injustices that you face on day-to-day basis. So 
I had to find God in those moments. And so to me, like, I really had this wrestle of like, Jesus, where were you? Like, where were you when Sipe was dying of diarrhea? Where were you when, um, like those girls died of hunger? Like you are the God who is bigger than everything. Where were you? And he would just reveal like, okay, this is where I was. This is when I was on the cross, I was fighting for them. Like when I was being whipped and beaten, like I was fighting for that victory. And that to me, the Jesus that never looks away from those moments, the Jesus that doesn't leave Sipe when she's dying of diarrhea. Like to me, I guess I'm like, I don't care who what prick loves Jesus that you're like, uh, I can't believe that you are Jesus's best friend in the same way. I am Jesus's friend. Like you're a total dick. Yeah. Um, I don't care about those people. Cause I'm like, no, I have seen Jesus and he is the victor in the midst of a war zone. He's the God who sits with the woman who just lost her babies. Like he is a God who fights for the woman who's been violated to the point of death or, has had her belly cut open when she's pregnant and her baby ripped up. Like that is my Jesus who doesn't look away from those moments and who doesn't shy away from our pain and our brokenness. Mm. And to me, a God who doesn't shy away from those moments, like who can have all of our pain, who can have us yell at him and say, where were you? Why didn't you stop them from dying? And he can, he can absorb all of my emotions without being like, that's too much. Cassandra, like that is my God. And he's the God, I think in more of the broken moments than he is even in those rosy, sunny moments. Like, so I don't know if that fully makes sense, but to me, Jesus is the God who's sitting in the dirt in a war zone. And that's the Jesus that I fall in love with all the time over and over again. Cause he's just, he's such a badass in the, that way. Mm. Yeah. If that makes any sense. So awesome. That's good stuff. I like him a lot. And mm. you feel like, cause I think for Chris and me, I would say this, like you're in a war zone for real, like <laughs> war warlords trying to, trying to, trying to, trying to, I don't know. Uh, uh, Warlords, yeah, definitely come and try to buy it. Oh, you muted. Hello. I'm trying to make sure my mic is screwing up. I think my system is being weird. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, that got weird for a second. I feel like my sound lagged. You had a war zone try to get you to, a warlord try to get you to marry him, you know, like. Sometimes, yes. You're going to pay me this money and you're like, I'm not paying you the money. You're going to marry me. I'm not going to marry, like, real deal. I would say Chrissy and me went have gone through so much death in our own little sheltered universe that mm-hmm. I think it's nice to know, does he does he always, like, when you're like, where were you? Does he answer the question? Yeah. Um, but it's not in a, like, 
he's not necessarily the God who fixes things for me. Like we, I'm in the midst of a war zone. There's still a ton of war. Like, it's not like, I'm like, where were you? And he was like, I was fixing everything. Like, just look over here. <laughs> like, that's not what happens. Um, it's usually like, where were you when, um, yeah, this one woman and her, her little daughter died and her daughter's name is Hope. And she died like the day before we arrived. And I was like, if like, why didn't we just come two days, three days earlier? And she died of starvation. Like we could have done something like, where were you? And seeing him in the midst of her home and seeing like, well, I sent you guys, didn't I? Like seeing him comfort her, like that is where I see him. And the God who can be present in the midst of a very sinful, broken world. Like we have, our world has been failing the poor and continues to fail the poor, has been doing this for generations. And Jesus, the fact that he would, yeah, sit with that widow sit with her right after her daughters died as her other three daughters are sitting there malnourished and about to die as well to see him like that's how he shows me that's how he responds to me instead of instead of trying to fix it and I also that about him because it'd be so much easier to like understand and ration in our minds if he were going to fix it but to just be like, oh, you're good because you fought for victory on the cross so that when we die, we get to see, I get to see hope restored or like the little girl hope physically restored. Mm. The mystery of we didn't get that this time. Whoa. The mystery of I didn't get that this time. That's really, really good. That's really good. I think that makes it makes more sense than you realize. I just think I want to know because I feel like personally, this is like outside of an interview about Justice Rising. I think when I got really awakened to to his voice, I f- I found him and heard him and saw him where he didn't belong. Mm-hmm. And so then you build a life with him, and you sort of are just with him a lot. And then death, destruction, hurt, revenge, like all these horrific things happen in your soul. And you go, Mm -hmm. where'd you go? You know, because I felt like you should be there. And I like, he's not the God that fixes everything. But he's the God that secured something for us that's so much greater than the, the moment. But that doesn't, that sucks in the moment. But I'm saying, but it works for you in a war zone. Mm-hmm. Wow. So maybe it works for me in the horror of how bad I feel, right? Like, the, it's, so just thinking of that, like, that's really powerful. And I think that, that makes more sense. Makes more sense than you realize, Cass. I think that's absolutely great. Um, yeah. Edison and I talk about it all the time of like, if if the God we know in the West doesn't work in a war zone, then we're like, oh, we don't want that gospel. He doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't. So many people will be like, oh, God is good because I'm going to get this blessing and I'm going to get this breakthrough. And we're like, 
again, we see kids dying from hunger. And you're like, you don't think that mom prayed for food? So is God not good because she didn't get food? Like, no, that's not the gospel. God is good in the midst of her suffering. Like God is good because he sits with her in the midst of that. Like it's not, yeah. And the cross, the cross for you, anchors mm. you in this is how good he is forever. Even if it doesn't feel good this Tuesday when the bad thing happened, like there's a forever good that has nothing necessarily to do with fixing how crappy my Saturday was or this horrible mm -hmm. car accident, or I guess it's that interesting connection between fully God and fully man, like fully man sucks sometimes like fully man is war zone fully God seems not war zone. So that weird blend of how we do this life, believing in an eternal promise when the temporal is kicking us in the mouth, that's yeah. really, really brutal. And I, I think I just appreciate the, I appreciate the affirmation that the cross, the cross works hmm. in the war zone, the cross works. Yeah. For real. Wow. Yeah, I used to sit all the time, God, what is victory? Like, we always talk about victory. And I was like, I know we have the victory, but I was like, I do not feel victorious right now. Like, what does this mean? Yep. And being like, oh, you fought already for Sipe. You fought already for hope mm -hmm. on the cross. Like, that was the victory. Like, I, I feel like I get the, oh, where, oh, death, where is your sting kind of thing. You're like, oh, it's because. Swallowed up, swallowed up in a victory. And we're like, but it felt so real. And he's like, and I've already got it. I've got it. I'm, I get it. And I got it for that reason, because it's terrifying, right? Like, isn't yeah. that the verse? Like, he did that to set us free from the terror of death. Like, death has no more terror over it. God, that's hard. Yeah, Chrissy Green and me are just proud because we just, I'm saying this just because, you know, it's real, but like we just had our fourth miscarriage uh, like uh -huh. a month ago. So uh -huh. four miscarriages in the last like two years. Yeah. And it's just been like, what is going on? Like what worked just doesn't. And, and it's anyway, so I think for Chris, she's really in that place of like, what do I believe? Like, so I love the idea. And Johnny, Johnny says it all the time. It's like the only thing, and I don't know where he heard it, right? Cause we all just were like data sharing with the Holy spirit, you know, all of us are just, but he said, you know, the only thing that we're guaranteed is the cross. And, and that's the only guarantee that we have. We don't get, and I would say it a lot when I see him, when I feel like I see Jesus, I can tell him like, dude, if you don't do anything else for me, like you've done enough, right? Whoa. But sometimes I really need him to do something, man. And like, when it's not coming through, I'm like, who are you? And that's the like, who am I to you? And so I love the idea of like, Tommy Green, there are people starving to death and Jesus is their comfort. Consider, consider them, right? Like that's so good for my soul, I think, to go, yeah, man. Like, I know all of our pain, it's all pain, but like really consider Mm -hmm. that the cross is real in the war zone it's real you can yeah. testify to that that's so cool to know because it doesn't feel real because if you don't get like a sneaker deal and a book 
you know, it's like this celebrity Christianity garbage. If that's not working, then he's not like, get out of here. Like, I just don't understand. So I love hearing very real blood and guts horror stories. And somehow this eternal thing is, is still an anchor of, of reality. Wow. Yeah. No, it's so true. Hmm. Even when there's despair, you like feel it. Yeah. Oh, you have to. It, cause yeah, even, yeah, I think of Syria and bombs falling all around and just sitting with these incredible people. And they would just say like their story of war and loss. And you're like, Jesus, I don't know what to do. Like, it just felt like everyone was trapped and just feeling his presence show up in those moments. You're like, Oh, this is all I have. Like, this is the only hope I really have is, is anchored in him because I don't have any other answer for them. Mm. Yeah. All right. It feels real good. I'm just saying it's like, that's a really nice thing to think through is it's not about controlling the moment. It's not about getting the answer. It's not about fixing everything. It's about are we here? Are you here? Where, where are you? You know, in the, in those moments, the presence of God is a real deal. It's a solution. It's not like fixing everything, but he's, yeah. it's, it's that presence accomplishes some stuff in us. I think that the answers never could anyway. Um, that's really powerful. So, okay, let me do this. So as the Rev kids or anyone that hears this, if they, if their hearts are kind of in your direction, what, what do you want people to believe for, for you guys for the next like year? Like as if people hear this, what can people be praying for and believing for, for you guys? Yeah, we were still building schools. We're still, so we're at 18 trying to get to 40. Um, people can really be praying that we're able to continue building those schools, yeah. getting more established in Iraq and Syria. Every time a war breaks out in a new area, we are dreaming for that area. So, <laughs> like, we're going to fight. We got it. Yeah. We got it. Yeah. So people can forever be standing with us in that. If they want to get involved, you can support a student in a war zone for like five bucks a month just mm-hmm. to go to school. And so people can support one student or 10 students, 50 students, become a peace partner, just do something. I know that sometimes like, I just want to respond. People can always join that. Yeah. Um, Trying to think of other ways they can get involved. Yeah. Just, we also have like, write someone a letter, write a little letter to our staff or students Hmm. and we deliver it and do a little exchange. Cause we're just like, these are real people out here. They're not just these statistics or people in a war zone far away. We're like, these are, real people having really similar problems to us and how can we make that them feel a little closer that's powerful okay all right and then the uh big big one too um 
How do people support Justice Rising? Where do they find you? If they want to give a bunch of money or they want to write letters or they want to pray or they want to know what's going on, what's the best way for people to stay connected to you guys and what you're doing? Yes, justicerising.org is our website. They can check us out there. Or we're pretty active on social media, um, justice underscore rising on Instagram and Twitter and be justice rising on Facebook. So they can follow along and subscribe to the newsletter, all that jazz. It's so awesome. All right. All right. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, I'm going to say prayer words for you guys real quick and then I'll let you go. Thank you very much for taking over an hour with me. I really appreciate it. Um, Oh my gosh. I feel like we could talk all day. Yeah, for real. Well, if it's cool, if you guys are still, if you're still in the States, I feel like me and Johnny will just hit you up and, and we'll just have more chat sessions and catch up and stuff. I'd love to kind of know about the move on the next like kind of conversation from LA to New York and kind of what New York's like for you guys. And, you know, yeah. you just chatting about you guys barely got in under the wire before shelter in place. You know, um, I, I, I called my homie Casey who lived in Brooklyn in January, we just had him on and that was months before Corona camp and he was finishing his like masters and stuff. So he said the city was different anyway. So, and there's plenty of stuff to just jibber jabber about, but, um, you know, we have mad love for you guys. So I just would love to continue to pick your brain. So, all right, I'm going to pray for you. That's what I'm going to do. All right, father, I just pray right now for, um, for Cass and for Edison and God, for their hearts um, together, I pray for their physical and their emotional and their spiritual, like, vitality. God, that you would connect them deeply in, from the heart, that you would uh, open up uh, deeper ways of communication and friendship between them, that you bless their marriage and their, um, their covenant promises together to one another, that you would deepen their connection um, I pray for justice rising, God, and I pray that they would actually, you would, you would do 40 schools quickly and that that sort of test model would really come together, that they'd be able to prove a concept through justice rising that would attract funding and support for peacemakers, God, that it would just come in. So I just pray for, I pray for their 40 school model. I really pray that they'd be able to get there even in the midst of such a challenging time globally, I pray right now, God, that you would, um, I'm praying that you would bring answers and health and, uh, and, and, and uh, healing for COVID um, worldwide, God, like for real, shut it down. But also, Lord, I just, I just pray, God, that there'd be um, such grace for the people. Thank you for the cross. I just pray that the revelation of the cross of Jesus Christ in all of our lives and, and that you turn the volume up on it, that we, we become fascinated again with that eternal victory that weighs more than our problems do right now, even when they're serious. Um, Jesus, would you just come and be the Lord of all in, in our lives? And, uh, and I just thank you for, I thank you for these guys and I thank you for their mission. I pray God that you bring in massive support um, that there'd be connection that actually uh, I, I just pray for letters and I pray for a young generation of kids all over the U S reaching out to these kids in the schools. And so there'd be like a heart connection in people that, that there'd be a real investment and in, uh, in people's lives. And so I just bless these guys. And I, I just pray that um, I pray for their uh, time in New York. I pray for healing of trauma and um, I, I bless both of their therapists, the cool one and the very emotional 
one. And um, I just thank you uh, just so much for their lives. God, thank you for their friendship. And I, I just, I'm so grateful that they bear witness to you in, in, in horrible conditions. They can see you, that you are present. And so I'm just so encouraged by the fact that you, you're real to me this morning because of their testimony. And I, I'm so grateful for that. Um, so Father, please just bless them. And I, ju I just lift them up, their lives, their future, the destiny of what they're doing and their calling together um, with you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, yeah. fine. We did the thing, huh? We did some stuff. All right, that's good. Yeah. All right, well, um, I'm going to keep you posted then. And uh, <clears throat> I think me and Johnny will probably message you. And can we talk again some weeks? I don't know. Yeah. When do you leave? When do you leave and go anywhere? Can you go anywhere? We are never leaving. <laughs> COVID has grounded us forever. Um, <laughs> but it does feel that way. We like, we yeah. can't travel at least till the end of the year. So we are around. Okay. So we're chilling. All right. Well, I'm going to hit you up again, but say prayer words for me and Chrissy Green when you think about it. And yes, just, we're just kind of hanging. So yeah. Oh, awesome. Absolutely praying for you guys. Love it. Well, I think you're the bomb. Thank you very much for time. Yes, thank you for chatting. This is awesome. Hey, you guys. Tommy Green here. Just want to say thank you again for listening to this episode of the Rev Talks podcast. Our hope with each and every episode is that it would encourage you, maybe give you a reason to have a laugh, expand your capacity on the inside to love and empathy, appreciation, hopefully make your world just a little bit bigger and uh, give you faith, hope, for the future. If you like what you heard, again, please share, subscribe, give us a good rating, give us some good feedback. Over all of this, thank you so much for taking us with you uh, in a small part of your day, on the drive, on, on the run, you know, just as you're going about your day. Thank you so much for sharing uh, some time of your life with us on this podcast. Um, to connect with us, you can email us again at therevgatherings.com and we will see you on the next episode. Love you guys. Bye. Uh, just a quick sort of uh, promotion or commercial. Um, the, a lot of you guys know that Chrissy and I have a high commitment um, to the struggle and the fight to end uh, human trafficking in our generation. Uh, many of you guys know that we are the directors of a nonprofit called Run Against Traffic. And um, if you have any interest at all in joining the fight with us, if you are a runner or a walker or someone that cares about uh, seeing the survivors um, of human trafficking restored, seeing their lives put back together again after, you know, whatever circumstances and situations have brought them through this like terrible journey of force or fraud or coercion um, at the hands of human trafficking. Uh, we would just encourage you to visit um, irunagainsttraffic.com. Join the team, run with us. We do a monthly digital run on the 15th of every month. Uh, pick up some gear, uh, join a local running club and share the fight. Um, a lot of people don't exactly know how to get involved with such a big problem, but we just want to invite you guys to become part of um, the uh, Run Against Traffic community. Um, 
share this with a running friend, tell them about it. Uh, visit irunagainsttraffic.com to become part of our team today. Join us in the fight to not just end human trafficking, but um, recover and restore the victims of human trafficking in our generation. Appreciate you guys. Thanks.